Today we uh, celebrate our second day of Advent, and on the second day of Advent, we are uh, drawn to the aspect of faith, the aspect of faith, and that's the purple candle. You can see that we are looking at the second candle that's just been lit, and uh, in uh, ancient traditions, it's believed that faith is the the theme of that second week of Advent. Faith is important because um, it is a way of making room for Jesus. And as we look at Advent, we've been inviting Jesus to come into the room that we make for him. He has already made room for us. But Advent is a time in which we make room for Jesus. Amen? I'd like to look at... Um, this passage of scripture, which will be actually in the in the sermon today, and uh, it's in Luke chapter one. It's very interesting that um, before Jesus comes, you have a little preamble that has to do with the life of Zacharias and uh, and the coming of of uh, John the Baptist. But we see that the angel came to Zacharias um, at an unexpected place in his routine he was on his own uh, he's on rotate his own rotation um as as a priest and in verse um 18 in response to the angel's announcement of um him and his wife having a child which would be John the Baptist Zacharias reacted this way, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, I'm reading from the NASB, how will I know this is for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Yeah, he wanted to rendered silent because of his lack of faith. He wanted to know things for certain, and he lived in the realm of certainties and certitudes only. And so he says, "How will I know for certain?" The angel says. You know, if you only go by that, if you only go by certitudes, you will have nothing prophetic to say. You will have nothing to impart to people that is supernatural. If you only go by what is planned and what's logical and what you can understand. And because of the fact that he only went by what he could understand, he did not make place for Jesus. And so I wonder, just leave that with you, because. God does not in one intend for us to be at, and rendered silent, not able to speak. Yeah? In fact, the angel said, you will not be able to speak until all this comes to pass. That means you can only speak after the fact. You cannot speak before the fact. You cannot be a herald like, you know, like John the Baptist is going to be. You cannot be a person who can speak prophetically. Your speech will be rendered only natural speech, the speech that comes from that which is certain for you. As a result of that, 
you are not able to be used by me. You can speak truth, you can speak theology, you can speak law, you can speak all that kind of stuff, but you can't speak prophetic. You can't speak supernatural words of God. And so I want to put it to you that as we um, spend the rest of this time together today, that God wants to invite us to make room for Him. Amen? Let's make room for Him so that faith can grow. And today uh, in the sermon, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, yesterday, we uh, had our decoration, and it was great to see, I think, about 37, 38 people come, children as well as adults, to come and help to decorate this place. I want to thank them once again for your participation in fellowship. We, had, we also sang a song to participate Jesus to come. And during these four weeks, I want to invite you to just participate with us in welcoming Jesus and making room for him. And so um, there's a song I'd like us to, to learn and to sing before we go into the sermon. And I've asked a few, few people to help me, help me to sing this song. And uh, those of you who were here yesterday, uh, please sing up, okay? All right. Are we ready? All right. I've prepared a place for you to stay. There is nothing I want more. As is my life and all my days. Just to host a living God in all of His glory. In all of His glory, make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. You can make yourself at home with me. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. You can make yourself at home with me. Let's sing it together again. Make yourself. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. You can make yourself at home with me. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. You can make yourself at home with me. I find all I need. Here at your feet, there is no other better thing than to see your face, to hear you speak. Oh, the joy of King of Kings in all of His glory, in all. Make yourself at home. 
Thank you that in spite of the fact that there was no room for you in the inn, you have made space for us. In fact, you said that you go to prepare a place for us, for those of us who have no place, for those who have suffered times in which we were pushed out or there was no place for us, yet you've made place for us. We want to make place for you for faith that we will not be rendered silent, but come to you. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome your word today, and we welcome you to speak to us on this, the second week, Sunday of Advent. Let's go ahead and just make space for him. Invite him in. This year we celebrate salvation that gets born in the house, in our house. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would like to... uh, bring you back to Zechariah, and uh, we'll look at that passage. The angel had come and had spoken great things, great prophetic things, and uh, in Luke chapter 1. And if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1, um, we'll look more quickly, about, sorry, more fully at the, uh, the announcement of the angel to Zechariah. And we'll read this from verse, thir- verse 11. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zacharias, standing on the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John, in spite of the fact that you are well past the age for having, birth, uh, having children. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, 
and he will drink no wine or liquor. That means he will be a Nazarite. He will be dedicated to the Lord. He will not belong to you. He will belong to the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go to forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah's answer to him is of complete disbelief. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am a Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent. You shall be silent. That means you will have nothing to say. You will have nothing to say to the hopes and the fears and the desolations of this age. You will have nothing to say. You have nothing to say from God. You will be silent and, my, and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. I wonder whether this is something that we can identify with. The angel says to him, you will not be able to speak until the thing happens. And once the things happen, then you can speak just like everybody else. That means you're not allowed to speak before it happens. You are not allowed to speak. You will not be able, not, not just you will not be allowed. Actually, it says you will not be able to speak. You will not be able to speak. You will be silent. And I wonder whether as we look at the disciples' devotion to the fellowship, you know, in Acts chapter 2, we sometimes find this true of ourselves, that when we see suffering or death, or we see tremendous loss or deep sorrow or deep suffering, we don't really have anything to say. We don't have anything to participate or to say to our brothers and our sisters when they go through suffering. We can't meet the depth of their suffering with something from God. We can give techniques or we can give things that we've learned in school. We can follow all the things of active listening and all that kind of stuff, but we don't have the substance of God, of Holy Spirit ministry to give. And so we can have fellowship in a certain sense in which we all have the same values but if fellowship, koinonia, uh, refers to the participation and the sharing of things of God, things of the Spirit, things of supernatural import, then we don't actually have that because of the fact that it has not grown in us. And this is something that was happening with Zacharias. He was not allowed to say it, or he was not able to say anything because he didn't have faith to receive that supernatural God thing that he was supposed to be able to impart to other people. Priests in those days were teaching priests, often they were teaching priests, who were supposed to impart spiritual substance to each other. And in these days when we are looking at the church and we are looking at Christmas and looking at the Advent, these two things come together. On one hand, in Acts chapter 2, he says, the, 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 the disciples 
devoted themselves to the fellowship. That means they were devoted to the impartation and the sharing and the communication yeah, of supernatural things of God. Not just social presence, but supernatural things. And somehow, as we look at, at, at Advent and we remember the coming of the Lord Jesus, we are moved to ask God for true fellowship, the fellowship of God things in our lives. God things. We don't want to be people who could say things only after the fact. I don't want to just be people who, a, a person who speaks doctrines that everybody can read up in a book. That doesn't mean that those things are not important by, by any means. These are extremely important. They're the bedrock of our faith. But the bedrock of our faith is God, who is a God of truth, not just true statements. The bedrock of faith is not just true statements. The bedrock of our faith is Christ, who is the truth and the life. Amen? So, I want to look at this in the context of our talk about church and fellowship and talk about the fact that often we find that for a lack of God or the lack of something, we can sometimes identify with Zacharias who in times of loss or in times of serious, serious um, sorrow and serious suffering, we can sometimes find that we have nothing to say. We only say safe things. God wants us to plunge in. And I want to talk a little bit about that, this plunging into the deeps. All right? So let's have a look at this. Behold, you will be silent. I think this is one of the most sad statements an angel can say to a person. Isn't it? The angel comes with great news, you know. Oh, you're going to have a son. He's going to be going before the face of the Lord. He's going to bring people the message to turn the hearts of the, the fathers of the children, children of the fathers and all that. But you're not involved. You can only say things natural. You can only things, say things after the fact, not before the fact. And so because of this, I want to... to, to, to to think about this, this thing about faith, right? Think about faith. Because I don't know what you think about faith, but I know that some Christians think of faith as a not very valuable thing. They can think about faith as the ability to believe. They think of faith as the thing of mighty people or strength, but not really people of heart. And I want to say that faith is something that is not about our attitude or our heart, it really is about God. It's about the substance of God. If you look in Hebrews chapter 1, it's a very, very, the very familiar passage. We see that faith is of a whole different substance than anything that we can generate. Shall we have a look at this? Um, Hebrews chapter, chapter 11. Faith is this substance or an assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So, faith has to do with something that exists. It's a, it's a substance. 
It's almost material. It's real. Yeah. The ancient word is res for real. It's real. So it's not an attitude. It's not a mindset. It is a thing. It is not something I can generate for myself. In fact, it bypasses what my mind thinks about it. It exists without me thinking anything about it. Faith is a substance, but it is an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. It's a conviction of something that's not seen. It doesn't come by any kind of fiddling of my mind to try to sort of, you know, work up belief. It is a conviction. It's an assurance. It's a substance. It comes. That's why we say faith comes by hearing. If you haven't heard, then you don't actually have faith in the biblical sense. Does that make sense? If you haven't heard, if the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken it into you, you don't have faith. You have maybe belief, you may have uh, mental assent or, or something. But to have faith means it must have come to you. Faith comes. It's not something that you create. It comes. Zechariah somehow didn't have a place for that faith. He had to make a space for that faith. Because when it came, when God spoke to him, he rejected it. Yeah? He wanted to remain in the realm of certitudes only. But God wanted to do something far greater. Something that's not confined to what he can be certain of or what he can generate or even that he could believe for himself. But he wanted Zacharias to experience something coming into his life, coming into his house, coming into his boat, so to speak. And I would like to think about Advent in this way so that we can actually see something of what God is doing in our lives. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And perhaps this will help us to understand this uh, a little bit more clearly. This is a very well-known incident in the life of the disciples and Jesus. Uh, We'll read it from verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing upon him, Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. They didn't have a very fruitful night out fishing. Verse 3, And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. Didn't ask permission. (laughs) He went in and inconvenienced them. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, We worked all night and caught nothing. And so what his experience um, told him that there was no fish out there, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet and something else happened to him saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Conviction came upon him. Yeah, he, he's experienced more than just phenomenon. Yeah, he experienced a revelation of God. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And, also, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will, not be, you will be catching men. And when they had brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's a great, what a great story, right? Now the thing about it is this. Simon Peter's experience had told him that there was nothing there. And so what happened is that they went back. The whole night they had, had washed, they had uh, fished all night and caught nothing. And so they gave up. They came back. It was early in the morning. There was a crowd there. And Jesus comes into to, to, to the scene and he starts teaching them. And he gets into Simon Peter's boat and he says, push out. Yeah, push out. And then he pushed out, pushes out a little. And Jesus kind of interrupts um, Simon Peter's whole schedule. Yeah, he in, in, interrupts his whole schedule and lets us from the boat. Yeah, teaches from the boat. And Simon Peter just lets him do it. He just lets him. He just lets Jesus take the space, take the boat, come into the boat. And things begin to start happening. And then he tells Simon Peter something. He tells Simon, go out. Launch out your boat into the deep. And that meant Simon Peter going back on his experience, going back against everything that he had known and experienced and had just seen happening that was certain, going right back there at Jesus' word and launching out into the deep. There are two places in our lives, the shallows and the deep. The deep is where miracles happen. The deep is where God operates. The shallows are where we operate. Shallows have nothing. There's nothing in the shallows. There's nothing in the realm of the natural, that can create God things. There's nothing in the realm of the logical that generates miracles. Miracles don't come from there. They come from the deep. They come from the deep. And sometimes I wonder whether we may be operating from the wrong realm. You may be in the shallows, but you're trying to generate God things from the shallows. And when you try to operate things, operate and generate God things from the shallows, from the place of our own preset ideas, our own certitudes, our own logical uh, uh, parameters, then what happens is this, we can create things that look like huge fish, but there's just no, you know, little, what do you call these things? Minnows, middles, little guppies, you know? Little, little tiddlywink things. And I feel that there is an 
there's a there's a radical and very basic difference between operating in the supernatural and operating in the natural. Now God is spiritually natural and and naturally spiritual. So there's a way in which it comes to come comes to, 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 to together because God's life flows into our natural realms. But the natural doesn't flow into the supernatural. It does not generate supernatural things. And the reason why the church is actually quite pusillanimous, you know, very tiddly, is probably because of the fact that we are hoping that we can generate supernatural things out of the shallows. And what we experience of often is something very much smaller, almost like a cartoon version of the mighty acts that God wants to do and talks about. And it may be that in the fellowship that we are reading about in Acts, there is often not an exchange of supernatural divine things but an exchange of just natural things. Not touched by the power of God. Because we are used to living in the realm of the natural. The realm of the shallows. You see, you can't from that shallows generate supernatural things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, isn't it, 15? It's like that which is of the natural cannot create, you have to see, cannot create supernatural things. Spiritual things create spiritual things. You have to start from the, from the, from the right realm. And what happened was, Zechariah was so used to functioning in the, la- in the realm of certitudes, right? Things that he can control that he could not, he could not move with God. And so he was excluded from supernatural things. And so let's have a look at this, right? He said to Simon, put out into the deep water, verse 4, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. So Simon's experiencing this, this tussle, right? He's experiencing the reality of his experience. Yeah, this Christian life is not something that denies experience, denies logic, or denies reasonableness. It does not deny reason. If you, if you, if you, if you encounter a Christianity that denies reason, that's not Christianity. That's something else. And so Peter comes into this place. He brings all his reason. He brings all his experience into the, into the situation, into the boat, so to speak. And he encounters what Christ is doing, which is of a whole different realm. And right there, Peter realizes, he sees the clash, right? He sees the the rub. And all he can do is function from natural things. The only thing that he can can produce in in, in the face of great suffering or great need is just technique. That's all he can do. He only has technique. He has only the natural knowledge that he, he, he has developed. Now, may I say to you that I have a feeling that in the Christian realm, we have lost sight of what the, the substance that we minister is. We, we minister 
natural kindness, natural things, they're good stuff. They're all good. We, we minister natural goodness. We, 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 we minister talents. We minister things that we've learned, techniques that we've learned. These are not things that are wrong. They're, they're actually truth. If they are really real science, then they're true. They, are in, 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 they comport with God's, God's creation. But that is not the nature of ministry. Ministry is not against those things. Ministry is not that, that's all. The actual nature of ministry is not that. Ministry is not just inspiring people to live a better life for yourself. Ministry is not just inspiring people about what great things you can do. Ministry is not that. Ministry is the life of God that penetrates into suffering. It is miracles. It is the love of God that changes and transforms people. Does that make sense? Ministry is not just listening as a technique. It's not just active listening as a technique. It's not things that we've learned out of book. It's something that happens when God enters into the suffering that we've experienced. When we enter into suffering and loss and all that, and we experience the comfort of God in that. Let me look, look with you at this this passage of scripture. We've looked at it before, but I'd like us to look at it again. Second Corinthians chapter one. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter one. And Paul is talking all about his suffering, suffering of the apostles, suffering that, that he suffers that others may live. And he begins right out the outset by saying, verse three. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This comfort, this quantum of comfort, right, is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the word that's used is the, the nahim, the breathing of God, the breathing of the Holy Spirit upon us. It's not just saying nice things. It's not just actively listening. It's not psychological techniques either. It's not, our even, not even our experience, our Christian experience. It is something of the Holy Spirit that is comforting people from the comfort that we have received. If we have suffered we and we call out to God, God brings a comfort upon us that is commensurate with our sufferings. I sometimes wonder whether the church finds itself tongue-tied, more afraid to say anything than to say something that could make a difference because of the fact that in people's suffering, we are afraid that will cause more suffering. And we are silenced, you know. But actually, that's not, the, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture does not just say, you've got to be sensitive to one another so that you won't say anything wrong. Scriptural ministry is not just about being positive and being good and being encouraging and being positive to people who are suffering or who are experiencing loss. The comfort of the Lord it has to do with imparting something that the Holy Spirit has breathed upon you. 
whatever technique that you use, whether through your own experience or through learning or through, um, through um, what you have um, um, been mentored in and all that, whatever that, the form of that happens, the substance of ministry is not the form, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You know, when we are ministers of God, we are constantly seeing miracles happen. It's constantly speaking out of turn and, it, and causing a boat to be invaded by the feet of Jesus. It's constantly entering into the deep realm. But you cannot come from the shallows and do this because the things of mass fish come from deeps. It is plunging out into the deep. And it's possible for us as a church to stay in the shallows and play safe. Play safe. Because we're afraid that we may say the wrong thing. But if you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, what is the right thing? What is the thing that God has to say? What is the, 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 the powerful thing, the thing from heaven that comes from the deeps? What do we have from the deeps to give? I've got to tell you, the shallows has nothing. The shallows has nothing for anybody. The shallows has nothing of God that is distinct from natural human kindness. The shallows has a playbook. And you have to follow this playbook. And what will happen is that you will come up with nothing more than what's in there. Now, let me get you, let, let, let's make sure that we don't get each other wrong. I'm not saying the playbook's wrong. I'm saying there is more than just what's in the playbook. If you get a chance to, um, there's a great movie that I would recommend. It's called uh, The Island. It's a Russian movie. And, uh, and it has to do with a community of Russian Orthodox monks. And miracles happened through them. But their manner of is very taciturn, you know? It's just like not smooth. Not smooth. And you get another picture of how God does miracles through them. And, and it's, it's, it's rough. There's certain roughness in that. I'm not recommending roughness. I'm just saying that the church can sometimes find itself reduced to a certain form that is from the shallows. By all means, be as smooth as you can even though you may not do it perfectly, or I will not do it perfectly. But there is something more that God has. When, God, when Jesus said to, the, to, to, to Peter, launch out into the deep, he was basically saying, the shallows of your own experience and your own reason are not enough. They don't have anything to minister to the saints. And so I want to, uh, I want to, I want to, 
take this a little bit further into the realm of prayer. Okay, into the realm of prayer. We are told in the New Testament that the, the prayer of faith will save, will heal. True? Yeah? Not a trick question. The prayer of faith will heal. Recently, during daily prayer, we have found that more and more, God seems to be working miracles and healing for impossible situations. And one of the things that, as we've been growing in prayer, allowing God to grow of conviction, I felt quite strongly that God was speaking to us and to pray. Or draw a line, and he was drawing a line in terms of um, how we pray. See, Jesus listens to all prayers. He pray, listens to the prayer of faith as well as the prayer of non, non-faith. He just listens to us because he cares for us. He loves us. He prays, he listens to the prayer of the, of the child as well as the, the adult or the mature person. He listens to all kinds of prayers. He listens to us all the time. If we speak to him incessantly, he will listen to us incessantly. That's Jesus, right? He loves us unconditionally. But I find that God is, is growing us in prayer so much so that we pray the prayer of faith. We pray the prayer of faith. We pray for the prayer that comes from God. When God puts faith in us, we pray the prayer that God gives to us. Does that make sense? He, pray, he causes us to pray Pray not safe. He prays His will into us. And I want to put it to you that actually as we grow in prayer, we move from just praying out of the childlikeness out of our own heart, out just the cry of our hearts, whether with faith or not faith, we just move from praying just because of the fact that our Father loves us, but praying in such a way that we can pray the prayer of faith. And I began to realize that God does not want us to pray safe. You know, play safe, right? He doesn't want us to play safe, but He doesn't want us to pray safe either. You know what's praying safe? Praying safe is when you pray, if it be thy will. You're not sure whether God is going to do something. You see tremendous suffering. And you're waiting for the word of faith to come and growing that work of faith until a prayer happens. Does that make sense? When we pray prayers of faith, miracles take place. His God discloses His will to us. And there was one person that we were praying for who was so sick, could not breathe, was on ventilators, and he was, he was, his numbers were so low that the doctors had almost given up on him. He basically, the doctors said, Let's just get him ready for, uh, just make him comfortable and, and so that he will, he, will, he will go away peacefully. And as we prayed for him, something inside me and I'm sure a number of us felt, no, we cannot pray safe. We don't play safe on this. We have to know God's will. 
We've got to let God put conviction in us and God put conviction out of us that in spite of the numbers, in spite of the, the readings of the machine, we would, we would say no. Because, not because of the fact that we don't believe machines, but because of the fact that God puts something inside us and it's called faith. And when that faith happens, we don't play safe. We don't stay in the shallows. Staying in the shallows would, say, would give room for no healing to take place or, or any eventuality. You can play safe and pray safe, but you will never know the will of God. You will only pray from what seems logical and reasonable and balanced. That is not wrong, but as we grow, when we invite Jesus to come into our boat and come to our house, he grows salvation. Salvation grows in our house. Amen? And I want to put it to you that God is taking us to another, another place in, in prayer in which we don't just pray without knowing the will of God, without giving space for the will of God to make itself known. But we begin to pray to such an extent that God can say, this is my will. I want to heal him. And we started praying that way. Do you remember those of you who are in daily prayer? We started praying and we said, no, we don't accept. In fact, we actually went against the numbers on the machine. And the next day they found out that the numbers on the machine were wrong. That man is getting so much better that his wife is talking about a miracle and telling the doctors. The doctors turned, turned around. The doctors began to be encouraged. And the doctors would say, you got lucky. They, would, they thought there was a hole in the heart and they couldn't find it. They couldn't find the hole after, after prayer. They saw the hole. The hole was there. But after prayer, the hole disappeared. And, and this man's wife said, it's a miracle. The doctor says, you got lucky. No, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, it's not because we have a preset, say, uh, uh, um, a theology in which say God always heals. No, there's sometimes where God does not heal. There are sometimes in which not being healed, but, but actually going to be with Him is far better. That's what Scripture says. There are sometimes, but we as prayers are not supposed to stay in the, in the shallows because when you stay in the shallows, you get lazy. You don't even try to find out what God's will is because you don't develop conviction. There are times in which I have conviction that a person should actually be released to die. Cindy and I recently well, saw our neighbors and, uh, and, uh, and, and this um, dear lady just was holding on, could not, could not release herself to die. And she was suffering. And the Lord spoke to us. She needs to be released. She needs to be released. Not to be healed, but to be released. So we went there and we prayed for her. And very soon she passed on into glory. The thing about the shallows is this. When you function from the shallows, you don't function from your spirit. You don't function from the Word of God. You, sh you function from your mind. And you try to find the balance all in, within the realm of the mind, within the realm of thought. And what Jesus is saying is go deeper because I don't, want you, I don't want you to just function from that realm. I want you to function from the deep place where, I, where you can hear. And not only do you hear, 
you develop a conviction so much so that the conviction gets harder. Faith is a conviction. It is an assurance. Amen? It's not guessing. It's not trying to be faithful either. It is something that you're, you're, you're wrestling with all the time. You're wrestling and you're waiting upon the Lord and you're, and, and, and you're believing that as you wait upon the Lord, somehow, not under your control, but under God's control, you will find strength will come, some word would come, some conviction, some assurance will come, and that assurance will be stronger than sense data. I feel that the church is lagging behind. It's still infantile in the area of prayer. And so we pray safe. We play safe and we pray safe. Zechariah was praying safe and playing safe. And as a result of that, in the midst of tremendous suffering, he had nothing to say. And sometimes I think the church has nothing to say because it keeps following the world, the world's categories, the world's ethical state, the world's sense of morality, the world's sense of what is right and what's wrong. But actually, the world has far long ago given up on the biblical morality, morality or, no, or the biblical word. Because the church does not have a word from the other side. doesn't have a word. It's functioning from the shallows. That's why we play safe. So that we'll be acceptable to each other and to everyone else. And I feel that by the, we are coming to a point in which we have to be people who are deeper by launching out into that place. I don't mean taking risks. I hear people say you should take risks. I don't believe in all that. It's not a risk. It's assurance. If you take a risk, there's no assurance. Assurance is something more solid. It's hard. It is hard against the enemy. It's hard against the doubts. It's not soft against the heart, the, the doubts. It's hard against the, the, the doubts. And if we give Jesus room, he will make it stronger and harder and weightier and, uh, and, and, and increase in mass. If we do that, we prayed for this, boy, this, this man and not only was he so much better and he's, he's, uh, the, the reports up to, up to yesterday are very, very good. But even the people around him have changed. And now this is, this is a bit difficult to, 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 to grasp, but let me try to, try to put it this way. You cannot function from the realm of the shallows, from the realm of rationality, to try to reach by more rational means faith. You have to move from that. Come to zero. Allow the cross to apply in our lives. And we say, I don't have faith. I don't have faith but I'm waiting upon you. I don't know what your will is, but I read in Ephesians that, that, um, that Paul prays that we'll be filled with the knowledge of his will so that I don't have to pray safe or play, play safe. I, know I, can, I can function from, a, from an assurance. The reason why the church has left it to worldly techniques to minister to the, to the, the, the bereaved, the suffering, it's because they have lost 
sight of what substance of ministry is. The substance of ministry is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so, we end up with Christian leadership that is not used to this, uncomfortable with this realm, not guides to the perplexed on this realm of spiritual realities. Yeah? And so what I want to, want to put it to you is that when we celebrate Advent, what we have is Jesus coming to our boat and we make place for Him. That may mean setting aside preset parameters for Him. We can sometimes mistake God for good. We can mistake God for the American dream. But when Jesus comes into the, our boat, the American dream is not left intact. Our dreams are not left intact. Our idea of what's good for us is not left intact. Our prosperity is sometimes not left intact, at least for a while. Our peace is not left intact. Our goodwill in the world is not left intact. Because when Jesus comes, he comes as a king, right? So, I wonder whether that is the case for us. I remember that when I got my diagnosis of cancer, as I shared with you, I realized that in me, I had so much experience of God's goodness, His miracles. I had so much of the Word in, of God in me. But in this new experience, I realized that what I needed was assurance. I had to have assurance. I couldn't start with the theology that God always heals and, and, and I will be healed. I couldn't start with that. I couldn't start with trying to believe that God is going to heal me, no matter how, how well-intentioned all my brothers and sisters, my family were. I could not start with that. I had to start with God speaking a word into me and that word becoming hard against all the assaults of, of the devil in my mind. I needed to have that. And so because of that, I didn't start with a mental um, theology of healing in which I found all the verses that told me God will heal. And God's, it's not God's will that I should perish or, or die of cancer because I'd seen people die of cancer. I needed to know God's will for me. I needed God to speak to speak. But it had to be something that's more than a theology, right? It had to be something of an assurance. It had to be something that had mass. It had to have thing, had, had, had reality and had weight so that it could drop in me 
So much so that it was hard enough against all the the doubts. And I wouldn't just say doubts. The the valid opinions of other people. That valid experience of other people who have died. I needed that. That's what I'm not not saying is this, we should all be faithful and just believe the Bible. I believe that's true. But there's there's something more than that. I'm saying you have to function from the realm of the deeps, not from the shallows. The shallows are the realm of the mind where you can convince yourself. But there needed something. I needed something more than logical convincing. I needed something of assurance to be happened. Assurance means sureness comes. I am sure. Because God put the sureness in me. Amen. I needed to be able to sure that God will supply the money needed for the operation and for all the medical treatment. I needed to be assured that God will do whatever He wants to me. When assurance comes, whether I die or I live, assurance holds me. It's not a prediction. An assurance is more than a prediction. Assurance is God Himself coming to my boat and speaking to me. It's going to be okay. I have you in my palm of my hand. You know? And I realized that because of that, I needed to learn what trust means. Because many times the scripture will say, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And I did not know how to trust. I needed to be able to enter into the realm of trust in which trust presses onto me so that I have trust. I can't trust by myself. I just have just as much anxiety trying to trust <laughs> as not. I'm, I'm a person who's chronic. I have anxiety problems. I have anxiety about being anxious. I do everything I can so that I will never be in a place where I will be anxious. I try to play safe, right? We hate anxiety. And the feeling of anxiety, I, I just don't like anxiety. The Lord began to deal with me from my sabbat mean till from February onwards, just dealt with me in that. And I remember asking Cindy, what does it mean to trust? And I began to realize that trust has to do with the fact that I take what God's hand and I press into that trust. I press into God. Press into God. Press until something of trust hits me back. Until trust comes to me and assurance is there. I can do all my best to try to trust as a human verb, a verb that Michael is enacting. But in the end, trust is not that. Trust is when in all my acting, try to trust, trust comes to me. Amen? And I have to wait upon him until it happens. And so in prayer as well, I wait, I have to wait upon him until conviction comes. Or else I dare not pray bold prayers. It would be presumptuous. I need God to come and meet me right there. And I want to put it to you that actually the church is so shallow, lives so much in the shallows, that has not, has not, has not really tried to wait upon God until assurance comes. When assurance comes, we will talk less and we will minister miracles more. 
we will not just be ministering, we will not just be ministering a good kind of life, a good kind of Christian philosophy, the latest cutting-edge philosophy and all that kind of stuff, the cutting-edge way of living and all that. No, we'll be talking about real substance. When somebody comes with you who's just, whose husband has just passed away, you will not be tongue-tied. You'll not be tongue-tied. You'll not just thinking, I better play safe. I will just, I just don't know how to enter into that experience. So I better not say anything wrong. No, you will have something, even if it is something that is kind of weird. But something flows over. There needs to be something that's authentic, not just the kind of the, 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 the do's and don'ts around that actually thing, that actual thing that you're going to be saying. I think all those things are actually important. That's, so don't get me wrong. But the ministry, the substance of ministry is not that. That's not the substance of ministry. That's the form of it. That's the structure of it. That's the skin of it, the color, the painting, the cosmetics of it, the, the important human attributes to these things. But there needs to be something more. When you are suffering, as ben- Betsy was talking today, there is a way in which God comes to us in our suffering and we wait. Because suffering in and of itself doesn't minister. There are many Christians who've actually suffered and experienced brokenness, and brokenness is where they've remained. No, first Second Corinthians chapter one talks about the fact that God comforts us in all our infirmity, in our in our in our affliction, so that we will minister that comfort. We don't minister our affliction. What happens in Christianity is this. We, the best we can do is this, you're afflicted, I also am afflicted. And we share our affliction. No, that's not the substance of what you share. That can help, but that's not the actual substance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The substance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the comfort we receive. You minister out of that comfort. And I fear that the church is losing sight of basic things like this. Trying to be relevant and contemporary and all that, but actually losing the actual substance of it. Amen? And I tell you something, you can minister this whether you're educated or not educated. Whether you are red, yellow, black or white. Minister the substance of God. Amen? has no regard to what our, our, our nationality or our race or our education or our background is. Amen? And so in prayer, God put it to you that this growing of Jesus in us, growing of the substance of God in us, and giving room to this is something that has to happen on a daily basis. It has, cannot be done in a sporadic way. It cannot be done just when you feel inspired or you feel free. And that is why when Jesus came into the boat, it was very inconvenient. It was inconvenient because Peter and all had a bad day or a bad night. He comes in the midst of the bad night and he takes over the boat, intervenes, takes charge. And sometimes what can happen is that we make Jesus fit into our own schedule, our own priorities, and our own other things. And you can do that. And Jesus is happy to fit in 
He's been doing that for thousands of years. Millions of years. He's fitted in all the times. He fits, in, fits into our own schedule. He fits into our own priorities. He fits on, into our own leisure time. He fits in anywhere. He'll take anything that you give him. But you won't have much. You won't have much. And you'll be reading the Bible, and the Bible is talking about these things, and what you're applying is these things from the shallows. And what I want to urge you is this, that when Jesus comes into, into, into our boat, comes into our, our house, we let him take over our preset priorities. Some of us have given Jesus only the space that they are willing to give. Jesus is only as, re- as real as your willingness and my willingness. And so I wonder whether that's something that we need to look at because of the fact that when Jesus comes, there's a clash of wills. There's a clash of wills. You could see he's saying, look, we've, we've, we've fished all night. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You don't tell grandmother how to suck eggs. I, I know how to fish better than you, you can. Right? But why? Yeah, you don't. You don't tell your grandmother how to suck eggs. The grandmothers know how to suck eggs better than you do. Are you not familiar with that phrase? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean it to be rude or anything like that. It's just a well-known to some people, phrase. You don't teach your grandmother's phrase. Peter is offended that this Jesus, who he thinks is an ignoramus, who's, who's, who's about tables and chairs, is telling the fisherman, who's been fisherman for all these years, and right to the last incident, last night, nothing happened. And Jesus flying in the face of all that. Jesus isn't arguing that uh, Peter's experience. He's just saying, I'm positing to you a word. I'm positing this word to you, and if you take it in a way that Zacharias, Zacharias didn't, something will happen. And, uh, and you can see the struggle that's in, in Peter. You can see the bad conscience that he has, the, the offense that he takes with, with, with Jesus. And I know that there's going to be an offense taken when Jesus comes to him, comes to us into our house and says, I want your house now. Now, normally, as Christians, we will say, okay, I'll plan you in. Right? Because I have to be responsible. I will plan you in. And Jesus says, that's not what I mean. I want to take over your house. I want to take over your boat. I want to push aside all your preset plannings or schedules for what is a normal and responsible life. I want to do that. If you do that, then I will order your life. I will fit. I will not fit into your order, but I will order your life. That's what Christmas. Is, that's what Advent is all about. Advent is making space for Jesus. Amen. And when we do that, it will have a way of overflowing into our fellowship when we devote ourselves to the fellowship, so that we will have not silence to give to one another, playing safe and praying safe, but actually boldness that comes out. We are in great need for such boldness. The world needs such boldness. The world has imposed upon us how reality should be. It's told us how we should be. And there's not that much hope in that. 
But the world needs God seeping out through the boundaries of our own skin and our own schedules, flowing out of all that. And I feel that that's what God has. And maybe this means practice. Practice. Every day, practice. 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 Amen? Our hearing from God, our prayer. When we come together to pray on, in, in noon, if you decide to come, we're going to be praying and we are not going to tell God all the needs that we have straight away. He knows that. But we are going to invite Him to lead us so we worship Him. We give Him the agenda. We give Him all our prayer needs. Give Him that first so that God can plant in us from sort of tabula rasa, from, a, from neutral, his, his direction, and then he leads us. And then we pray and we come against the wall. And when we come against the wall, we're not discouraged by the, by the fact that we, we come against the wall because in prayer, we hit, we've hit the enemy right now. We've located the enemy and he's pushed back. And, we, and when the enemy pushes back, then we say, got you there. I know where you are now. You are encouraged, not discouraged by it. When the enemy pushes back and gives you depression or gives you discouragement, then you know, ha, I face you. You can't hide anywhere from me. And you stand in that place and you push back. But before you push back, you present yourself to God and say, God, I wait upon you. I won't move. I won't push the enemy by myself. I'm going to wait upon you. And then he comes. And then at a certain point, power begins to come. Bursting forth comes. You push back the enemy. Suddenly there's a release. And when that happens, faith actually happens. And you start praying bold prayers. Not because you're bold, because you were born bold, but because of the fact that something has broken. Amen? So let's pray. We want to give God space. Make room for Jesus. He's coming. Make room for Him. Oh, my soul, make room for Him. Lord, we know right now you are truly doing something in our lives, God. We heard that word fathom even during worship today. We know how to how fishermen and how others find the deeps. They use sound. They use sound waves. You're calling us now into the deeps to hear where we really are, to hear what you really want to do. So, Lord, we ask right now that you will help us to wait for your word to come back when we're out in the deeps. We ask you'll do a miracle in us that we would understand and that indeed we would receive our faith. Amen. We trust right now, Lord God, that you are moving us, even as a church, together into these new places even our young children, even our old ones, God, 
So, Lord, we open up the church. We open up the week. We open up every day to you and ask, come, Holy Spirit, come have your way. Come show us where the deeps are. Come show us the miracles the world needs around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise him. We welcome you. We open ourselves to you for the coming of your conviction. We ask you that you move aside things in us that have preceded and preempted and taken up the space that you rightly deserve. We want more of you, Lord. We don't want to do Christianity from the point of our own abilities, our own flesh. But we want Christianity to come upon us. So come, O Lord. Breathe upon us. The Holy Spirit is present. And he's moving amongst us right now. You have to, don't have to dig up for any guilt. The Holy Spirit, in his own gentle way, very clear way, will point finger to things that have stood in the way of his presence in your life. Just go ahead and simply respond to him and just give it back to him. place we welcome you Lord especially to those places that are pre-existing structures that are not of you that have crowded you out and consigned you to a little space you know increase yourself in us in the name of Jesus Amen Amen